Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram, Aaron underscore Dugan. Go to the YouTube page, the socials, all the accounts, everything. Click all the buttons we ask you to click. Make sure you're subscribed to all the wonderful things. And if you do that, you will see that Aaron Dugan is sitting in, in, in what building? Where are you sitting, Aaron Dugan? In my brand new video and podcasting studio on Music Row. What? Mm-hmm. That is incredible. Congratulations, Aaron Dugan, on all the hard work. You're and so you got- surprised. Not at all. I'm it's just. A, ex- I am excited for you. The me, people I'm should excited, be excited for me you. too. Although, it's a it's a long and winding road. Just it's all about the climb. Life ebbs and flows, and right now I don't know what's the good one. Flowing right now, it's ebbing. That's all right. Um. Uh, yeah. Waxing and waning. Yeah. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. But all all sounds good. Um. The NFL draft is this week. And obviously there's a lot of statistics that SEC fans like to brag about. So we're going to we're going to explore some of those statistics today. We will do our own draft about SEC football coaches a little bit later on in the show. Josh Kendall is going to join us from The Athletic to give us our South Carolina State of the Union with perhaps one of the two greatest voices in SEC football. We might have to do like a power ranking one time, Aaron, with like who's going to be better, Adam Sparks or Josh Kendall? in terms of Southern football accents, just this two of the best in, in the entire world. So does anybody have a more Southern accent than Adam Sparks? I, Josh Kendall might. <laughs> it's close, but I, I'll I put him know. up. I'll put him up there. Uh, you'll hear from Josh. He actually talked about his accent w- when he was doing an interview in New Zealand. How about that? So he'll explain that a little bit later on. So yes, you'll get some Spencer Rattler talk and New Zealand talk later on. Where else can you get that on a, on an SEC football podcast? Quite literally nowhere. So uh, I we, I did a lot of uh, I spent a lot of time with 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 the, the internet this week and I've got all fourteen teams how many players have been drafted off of all fourteen teams in the SEC over the last twelve seasons since two thousand and ten so sort of the the playoff era plus mm-hmm. um, whatever you want to call it and and I thought we found some interesting stuff we got Florida we're gonna have to have a talk with you Florida okay we're gonna have a talk about Florida. That always goes well. <laughs> right. Uh, Tennessee as well. Kentucky. There's some interesting stuff in there. Uh, and of course, Alabama at the top. So we'll get into all of that. Uh, a lot of things that could, a lot of records that could be broken this year in the NFL draft. So we'll touch on those. And then I've got two, I don't know if they're hot takes, but I got two takes. I need to run past you here to start the show to see if, uh, to see what you think. You can judge them on how smoldering and scorching that, that they really are. So we'll do that. Uh, okay. However, Fringe Element is brought to you by. Jaspers, your your technological hub for the most, I'm going to say technological twice, the most, uh, I'm going to start over, hold on. <clears throat> Three, two, one. Jaspers, or, or Fringe Element, oh God. <laughs> Fringe Element is brought to you by Jaspers, doing way better at their job than I do at mine. Nice. That was a good recovery, see? Thank you. So there you go. Well done. Uh, Jaspers, the dongle that won't let you down. Go go to Jaspers. <laughs> That's actually really good. Thank you. Thank you. Every now and then, blind squirrel gets a nut. Uh, broken clock, right twice a day, all that good stuff. So go to Jaspers, of course. It is a fantastic next evolution of a sports bar in Nashville. So if you're in Nashville and you want to watch hockey playoffs, NBA playoffs, NFL draft, 
come to Jasper's, hang out at Jasper's. It's a great place to watch all sporting events, free parking, great happy hour. However, Four Top Hospitality, the company that owns Jasper's and runs and manages Jasper's, also has 13 locations across the Southeast, a lot of different restaurants, Amerigo's, um, you got Char, etc., Etch, Saltine. Saltine. Yep, you got Memphis, you got Mississippi, Alabama, all kinds of great locations. So go check out Four Top Hospitality across the Southeast. Go check them out. All right, two... Two hot takes. And by the way, subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can check out Aaron's new studio. We, we might have some things planned for you guys. So just go, go subscribe, okay? It's going to be sick. We're... And it's going to work, too. Better than my I, internet today. I, I know you're like an Instagram influencer, but for some I reason, you sounded like really, really, really old when you just said that. <laughs> and I'm, I don't think you're ready be, for it. I don't think you're ready for tight. it. It's going to be tight. It's going to be sick. It's going to be rad. Do you say dope? Do you say the word dope? Do you mm-hmm. think you can you get away with it when you're like, man, those it's dope. Those Jordans yeah, are dope. Those Jordans, are, those Jordans are dope, man, for sure. For real. Mm-hmm. I think I can get away with it. I, I can say it around my kids. They think it's awesome. I, I refuse to say it around everybody else. So who knows? Anyway. All right. Two Probably hot a takes. Good look. It's like, um, don't do that in front of anyone you respect kind of vibes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Give me two, the hot takes. I'm two ready. hot takes. I think the best player in the entire draft may not go in the top 10. Okay. And you think the best player in the entire draft is inarguably Derek Stingley Jr. <laughs> How did you know I was going to say that? Um, so I, I think it's not that he's the best player in the draft per se. It's that I think he has the best chance to be like a 10-year all-pro starter. Like, if you're telling me, like, which guy has the best chance to be a 10-year starting player in the NFL, to me, of everybody, I, I would take Der- – I, I would put money on Derek Stingley starting more games in the NFL in this class than anybody else. And you – well, taking him in the first draft, oh, yeah, legit. Braden is holding up the Athlon Sports Magazine, the NFL Draft Magazine, um, it says Derek Stingley Jr. on it, and that's t- timely and appropriate because that's exactly who we're talking about. Right. Um, yeah, whoever Product gets him placement. gets him for take him in the first round. If you take him in the first round, you don't he doesn't get to renegotiate his contract until after year four, which five. Five. Oh, yeah, it's five and four, right? Yep, yep. Yep. I, I I'm not and again, this is not to suggest that there aren't spectacular players all over the draft from every conference and every team. There, there are. I think Aiden Hutchinson's really good. I don't know about the quarterbacks. Um, all the other guys, Kayvon Thibodeau, you know, all the other Georgia defensive players. Like, there's a lot of really good football players. All You know, the Ohio State wide receivers, whatever. But if you, like, I don't know. It, it sounds like you agree with me that uh, I know he's coming off the injury, he didn't play, you opted out. But, like, I'm just, if you're just telling me I've got to gamble on who's going to have the most successful NFL career, like, who's got the highest floor, I feel mm-hmm. like it's Derek Stingley. So I don't know. I guess it sounds like you don't think that's that hot of a take, I guess. I don't think it's that hot of a take. I don't know. I don't live as much in the Twitter verse, Twitter sphere as you do. So I don't know how people feel about that on, on Elon Musk's new toy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I'm a strong believer in, you know, I know what you're saying about making sure that 
it, you creating a strong core with players like him. I mean, you have really good standout position players or guys on offense that, um, you know, can do ridiculous things, have ridiculous skill sets. I mean, sometimes those people, namely, you know, quarterbacks or the offensive positions that matter the most at the beginning of the draft. But otherwise, it makes the most sense to me to build your line on both sides of the ball first. And, and those are the two strongest positions. And I guess here's the other hot take. I, I don't understand the love for Trayvon Walker. I, I don't know why he is all of a sudden now a first round draft pick. And, and it's not that I don't understand why he's a really good football player. I think he's got a chance to be a very good football player. It's not that I don't think he's a good football player, but all of a sudden out of nowhere, he's the most talented and best Georgia defensive player. I, I challenge you to watch a single game in 2021 where they won the national championship. Watch a game and tell me which one is where Trayvon Walker is the best Georgia defender. What do you, well, this question makes sense to me too. I don't think this is a hot take either. Cause I agree with you, but what the do you think are he has go caused number one this? overall? But, but can you explain to me why? Because I have not, I have heard this, uh, people talking about this and it coming up on the internet and in other podcasts and stuff. And when did this happen? Because I don't feel like this was the discussion leading up to, you know, recent. Uh, I, I think it was the combine and I think it's because he went to the combine and, and like, even in the Athlon sports magazine, like he's number 11 or something like that. Like he's a top 12, 15 player. It's mm -hmm. not like he's, and again, this is not that he's a bad player. That's not my argument. Well, yeah, no all. one's arguing that. I, I just don't understand why all of the sudden, and I, I guess I take that back. I do understand why it's happened. I, it just doesn't make any sense to me because I saw Jordan Davis Devontae Wyatt, Nicobe Dean. I would argue, and this this probably is the hot take. Okay, I would argue that Lewis, Lewis Seen, the safety, mm -hmm. that Lewis Seen popped off film more often than Trayvon Walker did. I mean, Quay, Quay, you got Quay Walker. You got uh, Nicobe Dean. Like, I just, I, I just did not see a game where Walker was the best Georgia defensive player. I, I don't know. That, the combine, he went to the combine, and he, got, he went like, bonkers right he just went right. but you went bananas as they say but that's less about again we've talked about this before in terms of the combine how much it matters and not that it doesn't matter because i think it can give guys a chance to show off that really need an extra chance at doing so but it's not going to show you someone's ability to read scheme like game film does i mean you look at these other guys that we named on georgia's defense and you they have some of them including but not limited to jordan davis and a couple other names have an insane almost eerie sense about predicting what's going to happen on the other side of the ball uh to me that's more telling than uh what numbers you put up at the combine yeah six five two seventy two four five one forty that that right there is what 35 and half inch arms and 84 inch wingspan and he's like okay, he's got a little bigger arms and he's like a 10th of a second faster than Aiden Hutchinson or whatever. And it's just like, I'm like, just watch football. He's a very, again, this is the argument. This is not the argument. He is a very good football player. Yes. But to art, when you sit down and watch Georgia all season long, I just challenge you to, to show me a game where he was the guy that you noticed the most. That's all. Like I, I noticed Lewis seen almost every game and he's like the seventh best player on the defense. <laughs> mm -hmm. I agree with you. I can't think of one. Um, I cannot think of one where he was the standout 
to me, nor was he the standout to anybody uh, commentating or doing play-by-play on any of the broadcasts when we're watching t- TV. So I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. We'll see. I, I, we'll find out. We'll find out what happens. Um, Have you tweeted of- that? what that that i that he's just not the guy that that stood yeah have you tweeted that to see what the response was maybe i should maybe i should throw it out there just throw some chum. oh you haven't done that yet no no throw some chum out there to the to the sharks yeah um see what happens i think you should i'm interested to know what the response would be i was about to go look at your twitter but i figured you'd already tweeted it i mean there, there there is a chance so the record for first round draft picks was alabama last year was six like they had they had an insane number of players drafted in the first round. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them, almost all offense. They could have, again, they could also have Evan Neal, Jamison Williams, Christian Harris drafted this year, potentially in the first round, two of those guys for sure. So that would give last year's starting national championship team or two, two years ago w- would give them like eight or nine first round draft picks, which that's starting to get into like Miami territory. And I think Georgia could challenge that this year because again, Trayvon Walker, Devontae Wyatt, Nicobe Dean, Jordan Davis, Lewis Seen, Quay Walker and George Pickens could are all like there's a couple of those guys that are dancing around the first round. I don't think they're going to break the record, but I wouldn't be surprised if five, if not six guys get picked in the first six would tie the record. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Wouldn't either. I mean, and you, you also have evidence for, um, I mean, you just look at that Georgia team when it also makes you think about, wow, you really realize how many holes Georgia has to fill. But on the same front, and I'm not meaning to switch gears, but I guess I kind of am on accident with um, losing that amount of guys. People just concentrate on that. Not that anybody thinks Georgia is going to have a super hard time this year. We talked about their schedule (laughs) last week and how that's, you know, not the most challenging schedule we've ever seen for Georgia, but also thinking about the what the long-term repercussions or at least, I mean, I guess short-term in terms of the next year or two are going to be for Georgia when you have this many talented defenders and what the younger guys are able to learn from them. Those guys went, you know, lined up with these, you know, six, five, six standout players um, in every single practice. And although we really concentrate on what happens when you lose guys to the draft, what we don't talk about is how much the younger guys benefit from playing with the best of the best, which hopefully will for Georgia fans, hopefully that plays out comes to fruition. Uh, They also could challenge LSU's record of most players drafted in a single draft, which was 14 set on back in 2020, which is off of the 2019 team. So Ohio state, Ohio State in 04, which was loaded with a bunch of guys that won the national title in 02. They were drafted. They had 14 players drafted in 2004. LSU had 14 players. So that's the record. I don't know if they can get to 14 because they got now they do have James Cook and Zamir White. And they got I mean, there's Georgia could get up to 10, 11, 12. So 12 used to be the record. Um, I think the second is 12 for a bunch of teams like Alabama and Miami. But um, here's some other things, just some other random stats. You can stop me when you think. I got a fun stat too, but I'll throw it in in a minute. Okay. So 2006 is the last time the SEC did not have the most players drafted. Okay. Uh, They had 65 last year. That was a record. They had 63 the year before that. That was a record. Uh, Again, Bama had the record two years ago with six first round picks. Um, Here's a stat, and this will kind of lead us into how the SEC has done in the draft over since 2010. Alabama has had 38 first-round draft picks since 2010. Ohio State is number two in all of college football with 19. That's half. Yeah, it's LSU, exactly half. 
LSU's number three with 16, which means Ohio State and LSU are two and three in all of America mm-hmm. in producing first round draft picks. And combined, they've had less than Alabama since 2010. Here's, so do you know how many Alabama's had total of 101 since 2010? I do not know the overall number for Ohio State since since that year, but in oh, the would last you like, would, you, would you like to know? I would like to know. They're number two with 82 first round uh, overall draft picks since 2010. Okay. So the the first round is that stat's more impressive than overall, but I also found that in the last six years, 618 players have been selected on days one and two of the NFL draft. 82% of them, or sorry, not 82%, 13.3%, which is 82 players have come from two schools, Alabama and Ohio State, which is pretty crazy. Yep. So eight, so that would have been, so let's, let's clarify that. So 618 players taken on day one or two, which is rounds one, two, and three. Yep. Over the last six years, 82 of them. We're from Bama or Ohio, Ohio State. State. Correct. 40, 43 for Bama, 39 for Ohio State. LSU's had 25, which gives Alabama, Ohio State, and LSU essentially almost 20% of every day one or day two draft pick in the last six years, which is yes. just stupid. It's stupid. It's, it's wild. It's stupid. Um, so let, let's, uh, so again, the SEC's had, I think, uh, 175 day one or day two draft picks. The Big Ten's had 107. Again, these are sort of like we're getting repetitive here with how dominant the SEC has been in in the draft. So let's let's try to paint this in a different way and okay. let's talk a little bit about the Florida Gators here. Okay, I don't know where you're going with this, so I'm intrigued. So so here are the numbers for SEC teams since 2010 total, and I did to, I did put this out on the Twitters, so you can go and Florida fans, and this is why I want to talk about Florida because Florida I fans found it on your Twitter. Florida fans have used this tweet both as a positive and a negative, which I find fascinating just from a psychological standpoint. So uh, one to 14 in order, this is going to be a lot of reading. If you want to follow along on Twitter, you can go a lot of numbers here, but total number of draft picks since 2010, Alabama 101, 38 in the first round, LSU 81, 16 in the first round. Florida is number three in the SEC with 75 draft picks, 15 in the first round. Georgia's number four with 68 players. Those would be one, three, four, and five nationally mm-hmm. over that time. Only Ohio State has done better, like nationally in all of college football. Uh, Auburn's number five at 44. Texas A&M's number six with 40. That number is going to go up. South yeah. Carolina, 38. Mississippi State, 38. Arkansas, 37. Uh, Missouri, 29, Tennessee, 29, which speaks to the struggles for Tennessee, Mm -hmm. Ole Miss, 29, Kentucky, 24, and Vanderbilt, 16. The only team that does not have a first-round draft pick, of course, is Vanderbilt. Um, Sorry, Joan. (laughs) Yeah, zero zero first-round draft picks. Um, So there's a lot that we could discuss here, like Kentucky with only 24, 13th in the SEC in terms of number of draft picks. I assume that's because it's taken a little while for Mark Stoops to sort of get established. And over the last five or six years, that number has gone up, um, that kind of thing. Uh, Tennessee, obviously, they had a really bad, bad last 15 years. So that's why they're down. Mississippi State being way up is, I think, a testament to the job Dan Mullen did, frankly, at Mississippi State. I know we're I know Twitter's like anti Dan Mullen these days. Um, But let's get to Florida here. Wait, hold on really quickly before you move to Florida. I just wanted to say that. 
maybe not in the uh, the scope of all of time of SEC football, but in the course of the last 10, 12 years, this list is very indicative to me of what we actually saw in terms of how teams stacked up over the course of the last decade. I mean, you look at like Ole Miss, Kentucky, Vandy, Tennessee, Missouri, kind of in that bottom area. South Carolina hasn't always been as bad as they have been the past few years. They were used to be more in that middle tier. And then you've got Bama, LSU, Florida, and Georgia, and Auburn all at the top. To me, it's like pretty indicative of what we've seen in the SEC over the last decade. Yeah, with A&M sort of climbing that ladder. Climbing the tip, yeah, yeah. At no, five I, or six. I, I agree. South Carolina, you're right, because, like, the glory years, like, with, with you know, with Spur, they, Spurrier. Like, Spurrier, yeah. Yeah, and that, that was sort of, like, those four straight seasons with Connor Shaw as the quarterback. Like, that that was sort of at the beginning of this stretch of time mm-hmm. we're talking about, like, in the 2010, 11, 12, 13 era there. And – no, I, I agree. Arkansas has sort of had some really, really good seasons and some really, really bad seasons mixed right. in there. They're, they're but they've never been in that very, like, you know, they, they've never, they've always kind of sat right at the bottom of that middle tier in the last yeah. decade. So it stacks up pretty nicely. Okay, go back to Florida. Well, I, I got a couple more points before we get to Florida because I'm going to have okay. a little bit more of a conversation about Florida. So Texas, Texas would be tied for seventh in the SEC since 2010 they had 38 draft picks they would be tied with south carolina and mississippi state that is not where texas fans want to be by the way uh three <laughs> first round draft picks from the university of texas since 2010 that is unacceptable <laughs> unacceptable uh oklahoma 64 first round draft picks which would put them uh obviously up there near georgia at like fifth in the conference and i want to say like sixth or seventh nationally overall um, again, they'd be behind Ohio State. Uh, Clemson would be in that top six. Um, seven would be Oklahoma. Miami would be number um, number eight. Um, so there's some interesting there where those two are sort of going to be in the league. So how have they performed in terms of creating talent? Uh, here's the question about Oklahoma, though, that I found interesting. I looked at every one of their, their first-round draft picks, 10 of them, since 2010. Only two came on defense. And one of them was Gerald McCoy in 2010. So the very first year of this window – that's the only defensive lineman Oklahoma's had drafted in the first round in 12 years. Missouri wow. meet Missouri has had four first round defensive linemen. That's this wild. is this is Oklahoma's issue in the playoff. And it's why Missouri did so well when they got into the SEC because they had that, that run of great defensive linemen. It just is another example of how Oklahoma needs to up its game on the defensive line, which I'm assuming people believe Brent Venables is going to do. That makes sense. Also, what a pretty big drop off from where Georgia is, like the Bama, LSU, Florida, Georgia, and then include Oklahoma tier down to Auburn. You drop from 64 at Oklahoma, 64 um, total draft picks down to 44. That's the biggest jump in the whole thing. Everything else is pretty well, besides jumping from UK to Vandy, everything else is, you know, pretty incremental. No, that middle tier. I mean, that middle tier is pretty clear, like Auburn. A&M, you would include Texas at 38, South Carolina, Mississippi State at 38, Arkansas 37, and then like another little drop down to Missouri, little. Tennessee, Ole Miss. It's not and... 20, but it's... No, no, you're right. Yeah, but, you're right. There is a delineation But there. you're right to talk about South Carolina like, hey, they've actually, they've been better than they've been in recent memory. So yes, uh, and Tennessee, this is clear that they'll tell you exactly what's up with Tennessee. Okay, let me, <laughs> we, we've stalled enough on Florida and we'll get, we'll get to our coaches draft here in just a second, but... So Florida to me is fascinating because they are number four 
in the entire country in terms of producing talent over the last 12 years. 15 first-round draft picks. But here's what's fascinating. Every Florida people on Twitter had one of two reactions. One was, look at how garbage our team has been the last 10 years, and we're still churning out dudes. The other reaction is, look at all the dudes we've had. Why have we been so bad? Now, here's what's fascinating to me, because they have had five different coaches during this time, this, during this time span. Billy Napier will be number five. They went from Urban Meyer to Will Muschamp to Jim McElwain to Dan Mullen now to Billy Napier. They've been to the SEC championship game three of the last seven years. They had a Heisman Trophy finalist and almost beat Alabama in the SEC championship game. And Florida fans are going, this is the worst decade of our entire existence. And I want to be like, do you remember anything before 1980? But that's neither here nor there. In a long I, three years. <laughs> I really find the psychology of Florida fan to be interesting right now. And not even that, just how many teams in America could be like, God, we have been awful and have won their division three times and been to the SEC championship game and played Bama close three times. I, I, that, that, this whole Florida thing is fascinating to me. It's all relative. It's interesting and because fans, especially SEC fans, maybe it's a little bit of extra crazy, um, are somehow really good at remembering their, you know, historical glory days, cough, cough, Tennessee. And then also for Florida is, you know, the last are forgetting that over the course of the last seven years that they've had three really, really good ones. Maybe it just feels, maybe it feels like it's been a longer struggle for them than it really has. For me with the teams I was raised on, I promise you, I would not forget that I had three uh, SEC championship appearances in the last seven years, but that goes to speak on the relativity, relativity of how good Florida is used to be used to being historically. Even right before this window of time, we're talking about 2010, which again is fairly arbitrary. But they're in the SEC title game in 08 and 09. They win the national title in 08. And then to that, like Urban Meyer coached for two, I think 2010 and 11. And then, I mean, I think it's been mixed in with all this other craziness. Like, is Jim McElwain actually humping a shark? Like, it, why, is, <laughs> why is Dan Mullen getting in a fight with the Missouri coach? Like, there's just all this other shit that goes along. Yeah. It's, it, it's like Florida man, just like, I, I don't, it's so, it's so interesting to me. And it's not, it is a testament to how good the program is while also illustrating how volatile and insane it, the SEC can be like Auburn and LSU. Right. I would like to know there, if there's an age, if there's a certain demographic that handles that takes one approach to your tweet versus the other, I'd like to know if there's a certain age delineation. I'm sure it's mostly men, but age delineation of who is upset about it and you know, which take people. Take. I don't think, I don't think any, this is, this is why I find it all interesting. I don't think any Florida fan is like proud of the last decade of football, but at the <laughs> same time, it has been significantly better while also being dysfunctional, but like not Auburn or LSU dysfunctional, but not Alabama. Good. Georgia just <laughs> now broke through and won a national title, but they've been better for the last five years. So it's, I just find it so interesting that there's this, and I don't. I think your question is is pertinent, but I don't know. If, yeah, I, I hear you. I, I think everyone, every Florida fan, is kind of just like, well, we haven't been that good, but look at all these players we're still producing. Why haven't we been very good? 
And then I, and then my response is, but you played in the SEC championship game three times. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, how many teams Auburn fans would like murder their dog to be in the SEC championship game. And I get it. They're in the same division as Bama. That's hard. I get it. But I, know. I don't know. It's Maybe not, I, Flor- I feel like Florida does better. Florida's sanity is they're more stable when they have a quarterback to rally around as we all are, but Florida needs their symbolic leader. We know, and there has been, I mean, a lot of inconsistencies on the coaching front. So maybe it just feels more frantic and chaotic than it really is on paper. Well, and let's be very clear. Muschamp was not good. And McIlwain had the benefit of a very down SEC East to get into those championship games. So like, I'm not, I'm not ignorant to the situation. I just didn't feel dominant. They're like right their road right, to they, glory. But even in that first McElwain championship game, like when they were a huge underdog to Bama, I think it was 15 and they still played pretty well in that game. Like it was a mm-hmm. one score game late in the game. They got destroyed the next year. Like they got blown out the, the right. following year in 16. But, uh, and again, I'm, again, I'm not ignorant to how the sec East has sort of ebbed and flowed. As you've mentioned earlier in the show, like James Franklin benefited from a down East. Like there was a lot of coaching turnover when there was Joker Phillips and Derek Dooley and like, it was not good coaches in the East at that time. So, but, but th- that being said, like they still were able to win. They still were able to compete. And even in their bad moments, it's a testament to how good that program can be when the right guy is in charge. And I, I'm a big Napier guy. So you had to sneak in that Vanderbilt had success because of a down SEC. East. I, I didn't say, be- I didn't say because I just said they benefited, which they did. So did everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, again florida benefited from a weird sec east in 15 and 16 so yep you know and again the opposite is true for everyone else in the west <laughs> like you you just didn't benefit because nick saban is existing over there because... uh, by the way by, by the way what did you make of saban's comments um uh about name image and likeness how he's basically just like i, I think he like he always he's just threatening the world he's like look this is not how I would do it. These aren't the rules I want with name, image, and likeness. I don't want pay for play. I don't want X, Y, or Z. But if y'all are going to do it, I'm going to whip your ass. <laughs> so that's how I took all of his comments. No, it that, is. It's like the calm before it's the calm before the storm. I mean, he's done this before. Um, you know, talking about when there was the huge discussion about like the no huddle offense and the potential, mm-hmm. you know, repercussions of that with injury and everything, yep. um, what that would cause. And, you know, he's looking at this, like, Hey, this is the point, you know, this is why we have name image and likeness. And here's the purpose that it was supposed to serve. Now look at the, is this sustainable? Look at the route that it's going down. The thing is he's going to be better than everybody at it. He just doesn't really want to play that way. But if everybody else is going to, he's going to do it and play the game better. He's the most adaptable, dominant force in college football. But I I like that he's trying to draw attention to what this means. And is it potentially just buying players? And is that what we want the landscape to college football to look like? And if we don't, you better, something better happen quickly. And if everybody else is going to do it, he's still going to be better. So, yeah, it's. What I what I think he's hinting at, honestly, Aaron, is we are going to have a blanket policy for every player who comes to Alabama, and they are going to get every single player who walks in those doors knows exactly what they're going to get. They're going to get like this hundred grand a year or two hundred grand, whatever the number is. It's going to be this blanket policy, and he's like, "Y'all want to do it like this? We're going to give it to every single player on our team." You, 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 you Tennessee can play their quarterback. Uh, you know, Miami can pay, Texas can pay their offensive line, 
we're going to pay everybody. <laughs> he probably doesn't want to hear the argument on the back end of, oh, of course, Alabama is so good, you know, in two, three years because they can play, they can pay every single one of their players this amount. He's like, let's not forget that this wasn't really my idea. And, um, you know, it, it's going to be, he can win how it is right now. So I'm sure yep. he's not looking forward to the argument that everybody's going to come up with, which is you can pay all your players that that's not fair. Yep. And, like, and, and Jack Swarbrook, the Notre Dame athletic director, had a long conversation with Pat Forty of Sports Illustrated about how there is a split coming in college football, probably in the 2030s, that the top schools are going to break away. Like We hoped that this would be the know. opposite. When we first started talking about name, image, and likeness before it kind of went down this road, we hoped that it would actually help the distribution of talent because maybe someone, you know, a starter at Vanderbilt would, you know, maybe they're more likely to get sponsorship deals and all of yeah, that we stuff were, than we, being third string at Alabama. But we were now naive. it doesn't feel like we're going in that direction well, anymore. Well, and Josh is going to talk about this. South Carolina has not gotten their shit together, but if they had, they would have been able to capitalize the way Tennessee is capitalized because Tennessee is not selling success on the field right now. They're selling money. And so talent acquisition costs are skyrocketing. So it is going to spread talent. It's, it's just going to spread talent to like the people with money. It's not going to spread talent. And the question, if there is a split, according to the, again, according to Swarbuck's conversation, where he said, everybody's trying to get out of their conference, not in the Big Ten and the SEC, but everybody else, and that there's going to be a split coming soon when these TV contracts run out, that there's going to be a, a division super and a division one and a division two. And like the top division is going to be the Bamas and Floridas and Ohio states of the world. And, and because they, their, their cost of doing business is just different now. It's, and I was naive and ignorant to think that the, the dollars would be this big for mm -hmm. acquisition of talent because there's still such a huge risk, but I guess if you're rich and you just want to like waste money on trying to win football games, I that's, that's America, baby. So also going to be smaller private schools. I'm not just talking, obviously Vanderbilt's the only example of that in the sec, but um, you know, Ole Miss isn't huge. I mean, they have a, they have a loyal fan base, but dollar wise, I still think, you know, although a lot of that is coming from businesses, don't get me wrong. I'm not acting like most of this money is coming from alumni, but just like places like Tuscaloosa, where even if people didn't go there, everyone's rallied around this team. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. the size of fan bases has, there's a direct correlation between that too. Yeah. It, well, it's, it, how much does it mean to you? And again, and while, while, everything. I, <laughs> while, while I hate political taglines, there's a reason, you know, make America great again worked. There's a reason it just means more pisses people off outside of the SEC because it works. It's true and it's concise and it, and it is a great message from like a comm standpoint. Um, you know, there's a lot of them in politics that you don't like or agree with and they're full of shit and they're disingenuous, but they are very effective. Mm -hmm. And it just means more. I hate it. Like, I can't stand it. it makes my skin crawl, but it's accurate. It works. Mm -hmm. so, anyway. it does. All right. So with that in mind, let's do a coach's draft here. In honor of the NFL draft that's taking place this week, okay? But we're going to do it a little different, Aaron. This is your idea. Why don't you explain? We tried to make it as important and as pertinent information-wise as possible, which is why we decided that the best way to draft coaches would be in reference to who we would want to be trapped on a deserted island with. I think it's a, a it's a very serious topic that I think not enough people are talking about. No, and no one's talking about it. And I think I 
as, you know, as our gift to society, we're going to start the conversation. So we'd lighten the mood a little bit here before we talk to Josh Kendall of The Athletic, giving us our South Carolina State of the Union coming up in just a minute. I have a question before we start. Go for it. Did you have a did you pick based on who was most likely to get you off the island or who would be the most fun to hang out with on the deserted island Um, or both? First of all, I have a 12 year old sense of humor, so I'm just trying to wait to, till all the jokes leave my brain after hearing that last sentence. I don't know I, what I said. Before I answer you. Uh, which coach would get me off the island? Um, so, all right. It wasn't even that bad. I, yeah, no, I know it's not. I'm just a 12 year old child. Yes. So I'm not going to tell you before the draft what, okay. my criteria, what my criteria was because I had very specific criteria for certain different people and individuals. Okay. Like, there's, how about this? There's one coach who I think is a pretty good football coach. I, I want nothing to do with him on my deserted island. And I'll explain. i got a couple of those. I gotta, I'll explain in a minute. So first, you get first pick. We're going to go back and forth. You have to take us. A, we have to take every coach. So you, you're hanging out with seven dudes. I'm hanging out with seven bros, all on a deserted island. Go. Who's your first pick? I went back and forth between fun and getting me off the island for this one. But yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going <laughs> Sam Pittman because I wish one day. All right. All right. Sam Pittman. I like it. I like it. He's fun. He'll keep it light. Um, you know, he'll make sure that he has a positive. He's better at using microphones than me. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're back. <laughs> and um, yeah, no, that's who I picked because obviously. Uh, well, I, there's no chance he wouldn't build go- good culture and he wouldn't have fun. That's number one. All right. I'm, I'm going to go two off- people on the island. But yeah, good culture. I'm, I'm going way off the board here as well. Well, you're going to have a collection of eight people on the island at the end of this thing. So you got to. Oh, that's right. So I, I'm going to go off the board here because I, I know the type of person that he is. And I know that you went to this school. I'm taking Clark Lee number one with my pick. Why? Because he's smart. This dude is all, he's a leadership guy. He's probably got like books that he brought with him in his knapsack that are there to help us like learn how to work together. So if like Lord of the Flies actually happens, mm-hmm. I think he, I think he would actually be very, very good at like motivationally getting everyone to work together holistically to like build the village up and the boat and the raft and get off the island. That's good. That's a good one. So Clark Lee's my number one pick. Also, he's my age. <laughs> he's 39 or whatever. True. He'll so be nice and spry. We have what right. He's got young bones and muscles. He can still help us do stuff. So I'm um, Clark Lee, I think off the board there with my first pick. All right, you got you got Pittman. I got I got Clark Lee. Let's go. Okay, I'm going Sabin because of all the things we just talked about, his adaptability. Um, he Honestly, too, if you get him out of a football environment, I bet he's pretty fun to hang out with. Like he's got a nice sarcastic sense of humor, but he gets shit done. Um, I, I got to go saving. All right. Uh, number two, Mike Leach for me. Funny. Um, yes, this is purely an entertainment play. This this mm-hmm. will serve no other purpose than comedic relief. And and if we're sitting around a campfire drinking the rum and just hanging around because now I've just put rum on the on the island with us. Right. Um, I I think I think we need some entertainment value and we need somebody who knows a lot about pirates. So give me Mike Leach with my second pick. I've got Clark Lee. Really good reason. And Mike Leach. You you need something to keep you sane on the island. Right. And make you laugh, which is where my third pick comes in, which is Jimbo Fisher, because he's ridiculous and hilarious. Um, you know, maybe he knows maybe living in Texas and just his background is giving him, giving him some useful skills. I don't really know, but also I, him and Nick Saban talking to each other would be hilarious. That would be my comedic relief, just the dynamic. And, um, they're competitive enough with each other that, um, maybe they would just 
you know, try to build both build the best raft just to, you know, compete with I'm, each other. And then we'd have two. A lot of conflict between between those two. I could see you guys all like yeah, but being, Sam Pittman's going to fix it all. You guys could be like, you guys go fight on the other side of the island. Leave us alone. Okay. We're, <laughs> we're, you're like the couple in the reality TV show where we're all just like, we just go outside. Go. Stop, yep, stop. exactly. Uh, he, I was so torn on Fisher because he's got, he's an avid outdoorsman. So this is a guy who's a, a big time hunter, big time fisherman. Like he could, he could keep you alive. That's a really big benefit. I would strangle him because of how much he'd be talking. And I know that's ironic coming from me, but, but he is the amount he would talk on the island. Like at least Mike Leach, Leach has like this slow cadence where he kind of like pauses and like has a mellow tone of voice. Like Jimbo Fisher would just be going a mile a minute the entire time you're there. He, you guys would all be trying to get sleep and he'd just be over there yapping about something. So I, Mike I was Leach and Clark Lee together is interesting. I, I was very torn on uh, Fisher. All right. I'm going to go with Josh Heupel. Uh, because I, listen, I'm all about the laid back vibes here. I, I, I've got, I want people that want are to get off the Island. I'm getting there. Just, just hang okay. on. I've got uh, Lee's my leader. Mike Leach is my court jester. Josh Heupel's like the dad. He's like the dad of the group that can kind of just like put his arm around you and be like, we're going to be fine guys. It's going to mm-hmm. be okay. It's, it's fine. We're going to go up tempo on offense. We're not going to try to stop anybody on defense, but we're going to get off the Island. He, he's just, he's a, he's just a regular dude. I mm-hmm. want a regular dude on the island with me. Um, also, okay, I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna go there. Uh oh. Never mind. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do it. I'm, this is this is called maturity. I'm not gonna do it. I don't. You don't I feel like you're gonna do it. I'll tell you off the air. I'm okay. honestly not gonna do it. So give me Lee, Leech, and Hypel. Okay. I am going. So I had two that I thought could fill this niche, but whatever. I'm going. Shane Beamer, he's young, he's spry, he's enthusiastic. Okay. He be, be like recruiting, you know, wild animals in the in the woods to help us training them. Interesting. Um, you know, well, Billy Napier could do that too, but um, big recruiting guy. Maybe he's recruiting resources, twigs, ropes, I, monkeys a, to help. I think your best argument was that he's young and physically capable. <laughs> I think that was I your tried, best. Argument. I tried too hard. Once you started recruiting racehorses to your deserted island, you lost me on that one. That's no, it's not. There's, of course, there's no racehorses on the island. Obviously, I, I'm taking Billy Napier with my next pick because of his organizational structure ability. So Clark Lee and Billy Napier are like these guys that are going to build community. The vision. Like that, like, and, again, and quickly. If, again, if we're talking Lord of the Flies, and all of a sudden things could devolve quickly into chaos, I need some organizational leadership and structure. Yep. And I think Napier and Clark Lee are very good at this. And there's very specific personalities I am, that I do not want on my island. And they're, that's why they're falling down the board right now. <laughs> there's one. I know you're going to end up with one I, I for know, sure because you have is. to go last. I know. I know who it is, too. I bet you. Go ahead. I'm going, I'm going um, Mark Stoops on the next one. Just good old-fashioned work ethic, tried and true, you know. He won't try to rush it. He'll just take the slow, slow way, make sure we're doing it right. So we don't sink a ship or a raft on the way out. <laughs> also, this is funny thinking about all the people I've picked together. Pittman, Pitt- Pittman, Fisher, Saban, Fisher. Yeah. Stoops. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. And Shane uh, Beamer. I'm, I'm going to go Eli Drinkwitz. I know that was coming soon. Because I, we, we need, we need a science nerd. Okay. We need a science nerd that is like, he, he wasn't a football player. He was a smart guy. He's the smart kid. 
And, and all these guys are obviously very intelligent, but we need the nerdy, smart kid who knows like all the weird sci-fi references that's watched Lost like 46 times that can get us off the island and explain things to us. So I've got like, I'm going very like laid back. I got funny with Leech, laid back with Hypel, the dad. Then I got Lee and Napier to organize the whole thing. And then I got like the engineering department is Eli Drinkwitz. So yeah, he's, the one, he's, he's the one designing the raft. Your team is more academic than mine for sure. So, so far, except for, although Leech well, is pretty, pretty academic. Okay. It's going to be um, fascinating to see who the last couple of picks are. I got to go Kirby smart here because look at yeah. the rest of them. Yeah. Got to, you get it. I mean, that's because the only three left are Lane Kiffin, Brian Kelly and Brian Harson after that. So I need, I say more. Uh, yeah. Kirby smart would have been the pick there, especially, especially you got smart Fisher and Saban all, all having worked together. Plus, you know, you got a visor around if you're ever getting too much sun on your face you'll be all set <laughs> I, I am fascinated with who you don't want and who i don't want i, I so lane kiffin lane kiffin is who i'm taking here but lane yeah, kiffin right. but i don't think lane kiffin is as entertaining as people think even again go, go listen to our interview with neil mccready about this like he kind of turns it on and off with the cameras so I right. can't tell, would he just be like Joey Freshwater who just sits on the beach and tans and does nothing? Or right. would he be, or awesome. would he be the or would he be the funny guy? But here's what I can guarantee. He'd be mo- he'd be better to be around than Brian Harson or Brian Kelly. <laughs> I mean, that's it's process of elimination, Lane. You're not in the bottom two because look at the competition. All right, who are you taking then? Because to sit in those final two spots. Yeah, I'd t- I'd take Lane there too. Right, um, he, I'm not take taking it. Brian Harson. I'll take Brian Kelly. Yes. You wanted Harson? Yes. I did not want Brian Kelly on my island. <laughs> I don't want Brian. Har- I don't even know what Brian Harson's like motivations for life are. Have you seen I his biceps? Have you no. seen his biceps? Yeah, no, he's in good shape. I get that. But like, I just, I don't know what he is doing or wants or any of his values or anything. I, I, I don't need him to speak. Just lift heavy objects because he can do that. That's a <laughs> redeeming quality. What <laughs> redeeming quality does Brian Kelly bring to a deserted island? Which one? Give me one. I don't know. Well, that's a good point. He doesn't sunburn because his face is always red already. I don't know. Like, what's the redeeming quality on a deserted island? Good football coach, by the way. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe you made the right move. I just feel I like was... I don't know anything about Brian Harson, and I like a factor of trust. Okay, that's fair. I, I just, I literally, the only deciding factor was Brian Harson is is much younger and in much better shape. Yeah, so it's not That's like it. you were really stoked about this pick. No, no, but the, there was one coach I didn't want on my island, and it was Brian Kelly. I mean, Lane is going to be laying out tanning, just so you know. The whole time. But at least he, it'll be funny. He, he will, Clark Lee and Billy Napier will, tr- and Josh Heupel will give him so many pep talks, and he will not, he'll be like one of my five-year-olds. He'll just, in one ear, out the other. Will not. Your care. team's just going to be like working out the whole time, except for Lane and... Uh, Josh Heupel <laughs> and oh yeah and Mike Leach never mind no they'll be half they'll be half as fit fam and half as not I've got an engineering department I've got a comedy department I've got organizational psychology department I've got you know the loafer <laughs> and I've a, got the good old boys you got a lot you got a, a whole network man <laughs> you got, Pittman worked for smart smart worked for a saving Fisher worked for saving Beamer worked for a bunch of people. You just got the whole old boy network, man. You got Bagman City, Bagman everywhere <laughs> on your island. Uh, all right, that was our light-hearted way to cover 
uh, the draft and uh, do something stupid for you guys here on the podcast. So hope you guys hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, All right. When we come back, you'll hear our conversation with Josh Kendall of The Athletic. He will give you a deep dive into the South Carolina State of the Union, including the legislators. How about that in South Carolina? A lot of good stuff from Josh Kendall coming up when we come back right here on Fringe Element. Fringe Element is brought to you by the wonderful folks at Jaspers, your your central hub for engaging engagements. Oh shit, Braden, can you help this week? Engaging engagements. engagements. Um, Jaspers, your your good old fashioned watering hole complete with desserts and hardwood flooring oh i like the hardwood flooring touch no laminate no laminate at jasper's no, they do not use laminate wildly opposed to it yeah do they have laminate i don't know I, don't <laughs> I just i was thinking about that while i was saying it going well i hope they don't have someone laminate. goes and tweets and they're like it seems like maybe they do have laminate they, they have a dog patio you can take your dog to the patio if you want you and can do it's that. so nice outside of nashville the last couple of days Already Please so soak hot. it in if you live here. It's already so hot. It's already so hot. If you're in Nashville, go to Jasper's. It is a great place to watch the NFL draft this weekend. Uh, playoff hockey, playoff basketball, all kinds of stuff. USL, what USFL, whatever you want to watch that. You got uh, MLS, whatever you want to watch. If you're in Nashville, go to Jasper's. Free parking, great menu, legitimately awesome bar. It's not bar food. It's the the next. It's, it's elevated bar food from Deb Paquette, who of course is the chef. For four, four top hospitality that has lots of different locations all across the southeast in Memphis, in Huntsville, in Jackson, Mississippi. They got 13 locations across the southeast. So make sure uh, you check out Four Top Hospitality. It's linked in the show notes, and uh, you can find all their different restaurants, all their different titles, uh, Etch, etc., Char, Saltine, yep. Amerigos, Jaspers, all across the southeast. They are fantastic folks, great menus, high quality food. They care about you. Um, I, we promise you, I, listen, I've, I've been going to, I've been going to four top hospitality restaurants for like 10 years. So me too. I grew up going to Marigos in Memphis and I have a hot, well, I don't know if it's a hot take, but if you have not had Amerigos crab cakes to, they are the best crab cakes that you can get even when you're not by the ocean. And Ooh. I will stand by that. Okay. Like the, the most, the best landlocked crab cakes ever. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Best crab cakes. Although. I, I, I agree that Memphis is, in fact, landlocked. They aren't getting the crabs out of the Mississippi, Braden. I don't no, know no I, I'm this. aware. I'm aware. Okay. However, of all the cities in America, to be able to get on a giant ocean liner in the city and get to the Gulf of Mexico in, like, a couple hours... Uh, that's that, I don't that's like that's, that's that's pushing the boundaries of landlocked in my opinion. Well, how do you explain Nashville's crab cakes at Marigos? I get them from Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> this is flawed thinking. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. Four Top does a brilliant job. I'm just saying, if you have access to like the largest waterway in the country, that gets you right down to where the best like. <laughs> crawfish and oysters and all other stop stuff you are. and say that you're eating you're eating crab within a couple of days of it being taken out of the ocean so I, they're I know, not bringing it on a barge no i'm not arguing about the crab here aaron i'm arguing about memphis's <laughs> landlocked status and i'm arguing about why it 
like it being on a river really matters when they definitely flew those crabs there. Probably from the Northeast. No, I agree. Okay. I agree. That, that's what I'm saying. I'm not arguing the crab I part of this. I don't want you to be confused about how quickly boats move. That is not what I'm arguing. I'm arguing. Ask Eli Drinkwitz what he thinks. <laughs> He's busy He's building a raft. Just... Don't ask him. Don't bother him. He's building a raft. Uh, no, I want to know. I'm just curious. Like, uh, I, I just wouldn't. I don't know. I don't think. I mean, Louisville is totally landlocked, obviously, but it's on a huge river that feeds, I believe, doesn't the Ohio feed into the Mississippi? So I, I, when you like Memphis is a very specific city that is very close to the Gulf of Mexico and can get there with a large boat very quickly. Memphis is less landlocked because of FedEx than a boat. (laughs) It's valid. Thank you. Dallas, (laughs) Dallas, Fort Worth, Oklahoma city. Like these places feel extremely landlocked. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nashville is very landlocked, even though you can get to like Paducah and then you can actually get to the Mississippi and you can actually float all the way down to the Gulf. But that takes forever to do that. Didn't you didn't you see the uh, ocean liner? Plain. Yeah, exactly. Um, I just I just don't think I would consider Memphis like. I guess oceans are technically landlocked. I get it. All right. End of ad. Go to Jasper's. Josh, welcome to the show. One of the best two or three voices covering SEC football that I've ever been around. I'll put Adam Sparks of uh, the Knoxville New Sentinel up there with you, Josh. Good to see you, man. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm going to derail your your podcast right from the start and tell you a funny story. I was on, I covered Augusta a couple of weeks ago, and so I was on twice during that time uh, on a morning show in New Zealand. And as I'm getting out the second morning, you know, you can hear them and the, you can hear them, you know, once they've cut you off, you can still hear them talking. And the guy, <laughs> the guy from New Zealand says, I could listen to that accent all day long. And I didn't know whether to be offended or, or not. I mean, like you're from New Zealand, dude. I think that's positive. Jemaine. Yeah. Did you, you ever watch Flight of the Concords on HBO? Like Jemaine in no. Brit. It's a very different. New Zealand's very different than australia you got to get that right you got to get that right now that we've gotten our our history lesson out of the way i think it's a compliment josh i would take it as a compliment i certainly mean it as a compliment i've i've decided to take it as a compliment life's just easier that way well again if you've ever listened to adam sparks who's been on this show many times i'm assuming you've, you've met adam before at least once or twice in the past but he uh he you and him are neck and neck for greatest sec vocal stylings that, that i've ever heard so we, we are ha- we speak happy the same language happy to have you on the show um all right let's just start broad strokes with with last year sort of looking before we get into this season and and where this roster is and the coaching staff and all that stuff in general how real were those seven wins last year in your opinion 80 percent real i mean you get credit for beating florida and auburn you know you don't you know you can't say or you know in five years nobody's necessarily going to remember that was a, Flo- a Florida team that was falling apart. You know, that was this, that, and the other. You, you get credit because you did win those games. Because this is South Carolina, because, you know, there is a certain snake bite factor, part of me has some worry that all that, that, that is going to turn around and be a negative for you this year because you have put expectations into the next 
the what whatever the next tier of expectations. You you immediately gone there, and then you went out this offseason and got a former five star quarterback. So then you that's knocked you up to the next tier of expectations. So instead of being coming off of a year zero and now just being the year that Shane Beamer is expected to start building something, Shane Beamer and South Carolina are to some degree expected to be there now, and I'm not sure they're there. Yeah, that 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 would be a concern. Let's start. Let's start with Rattler, and I, I I think he got unfairly criticized for his performance at Oklahoma for a year and a year and a half. But I also the logic inside of the transition. Obviously, we know Shane Beamer's connection as the recruiting coordinator at Oklahoma and how he knows Spencer very well. So there's obviously a very good working relationship there, which is a huge plus. But I, what I don't understand, Josh, and maybe you can help me understand this, is on a quote unquote more inexperienced, worse coaching staff with a worse supporting cast in a more difficult conference with a more difficult schedule. Why is it that Spencer Rattler would be better at South Carolina than he would at Oklahoma? That's the problem. There's not a reason. There's, there, there's no answer to that question that South Carolina fans are going to find palatable. You know, is, is he, has he matured? Is he more comfortable in his own skin? Both of those things are very important, no matter what line of work you're in. If he can answer yes to those questions, if the answer to those questions is yes, you know, could he be just as good? Absolutely. There's no shame in getting beat out by Caleb Williams. You know, that's, you know, that doesn't mean that you're not a good quarterback and you can't do this job. It's the other things that come along with the Spencer Rattler package or what has been the Spencer Rattler package so far that might make you worry and all the things you just mentioned that could add stress to his life and his game on, you know, make playing the position harder. You know, how does it affect those things we've already seen? I, I don't know. I, I, I think that, I think that Spencer, Rattler, Spencer Rattler, South Carolina marriage is kind of a spin of the roulette wheel. It could come up big. You could win big. But there are a lot of other scenarios where you lose. Yeah, listen, there, there have been coaches that have won national championships by hitting at the roulette table. His, his name was Coach O and Gene Chizik. And so yeah. there's a lot of guys that just hit on that wheel. And it's possible. Make, yeah, you can make a heck of a career out of winning that spin. Yeah, no question about it. So before we get into the actual state of the roster, I want, a bigger, I want to back up and have a bigger picture question for you. Because Tennessee is obviously using name, image, and likeness and they're their collective better than almost anybody else. A&M is doing a great job. Texas, I think, is going to spin this up. And I've always believed that, especially in the SEC, there are a couple of fan bases and a couple of schools that could take advantage of this quicker than everybody else. And I think the, the formula is a ton of fan support, a ton of resources with a program that hasn't won as much lately. And that, to me, would be Texas, future SEC team, A&M, Tennessee, maybe even Kentucky or Arkansas, but certainly South Carolina with a great fan base that goes to games at an extraordinary clip with a ton of resources, uh, you know, the governor's saying they're the healthiest they've ever been in the history of the state of South Carolina business-wise. What, what, why wouldn't South Carolina be able to capitalize on this collective early stages of name, image, and likeness? I mean, I, I think the same reason that South Carolina has struggled globally in the past is that, you need to have organizationally, and I don't mean that in the athletic department, just the athletic department. I mean the whole thing 
the whole town and gown thing. It's all got to be pulling in the same direction. People have talked for years about alignment. You have to have alignment between the athletic department and the president, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know exactly what alignment is, but I know what alignment is not. You know, alignment is when the state legislature is across the street from the university and you've got a half a dozen state legislatures calling board of trustees members every time you make a coordinator hire to try to get into that process. And that's not alignment. That's the kind of thing that's happened at South Carolina for way too long. Everybody has been trying to pull it in their direction. So part of what Tennessee, what these guys at Tennessee have done a really good job of, although certainly we know they have no connection with the university whatsoever because that would be a recruiting (laughs) inducement and nobody would do that. I would not suggest that anything like that is happening. But what those guys have done a good job of is they have quickly gotten all of the right people on the same page and said, let's all go in the same direction. Most places, including South Carolina, we haven't seen evidence that that that's happening yet. So, you know, it's like anything else. You're in danger. If you don't get it right at the start of the process, you're in danger of getting behind. Now, you know, this, this whole process is going to be weird and I still think there's a lot of dust that has to settle. So we'll see how it ends up. But right now it looks like South Carolina is behind and as are a lot of other people. I mean, I think you've mentioned the people who are, you know, who have started the race well, who have got a good first lap under their belt. Are you suggesting that collectives may have some inside information as to who to target on the recruiting trail? Are you suggesting that's possible? I I would, I would never suggest such a thing. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just saying that everybody being on the same page has proven a better, better way of going about things in the SEC than not. I mean, you know, Nick Saban deciding when spring, the spring break for the University of Alabama is, has been a successful way of doing business for Alabama football. Well, it's, it's funny. You mentioned, I can tell you what it doesn't look like. And like Auburn is a perfect example of what it doesn't ever look like. Uh, the alignment there is just, is, is never a, a thing. So, um, all right, let's get into the roster then. And just last year about this time, we thought, you know, Shane Beamer's got some nice young pieces to work with on the defensive line. There's some nice recruiting pieces there that are, that have, that they think they can develop. Obviously now it's a little different with the pieces that are on offense. So just in general, where is the state of this roster one to 85 relative to this time last year? Uh, You know, I I think it's for me, it's in the same state in that it's unproven. You know, a lot of the, you know, the the guys, EJ Jenkins, the guys that they were talking about, Jason Brown. I mean, he started a game. He had a blurb. You know, he had a blip, but now he's gone. A lot of these guys that they talked about were going to be difference makers this time last year weren't necessarily difference makers. So I think we're still in the same spot. I mean, you know, I, I think that the roster is just okay. And so South Carolina, if you have just an okay roster, you have to be, then it's either going to be pulled in one of two directions. It's going to be pulled up by your, your elite players playing like elite players, or it's going to be pulled down because that doesn't happen. So Marshawn Lloyd, does he become the player? Everybody, not just South Carolina, but everybody thought he could be. Does Spencer Rattler become that player? Is, is he, does he take a step in the right direction? 
if he does those things, then an experienced but average offensive line looks a lot better. Then all your receivers look a lot better. You know, defensively, you know, they're they're just okay. I, I don't see, you know, does Jordan Birch become the five-star again? He, you know, then he pulls everybody up with him. If he doesn't, he doesn't do that, and it kind of sinks back down to an average level. So I think South Carolina, their season – and, 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 and what we think of their overall roster is really dependent on a handful of guys. I, I, we spent a lot of time on Rattler already, so I want to kind of focus on some of the other positions. And we, you've already mentioned it here, the experience level. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of experience actually along the offensive line and in the defensive front. I, I think they need to restock from a talent perspective on the defensive side. But if they were to get back to the six wins, and you mentioned already that expectations are, have sort of inflated themselves because of those wins against I would argue I would include Vanderbilt the win over Vanderbilt last year in that same category as the Florida and Auburn win um what, what how are they going to win games what, what does it look like if they get back to six and six and they achieve what they're supposed to how are they winning football games in 2022 with kind of a no you know go back to the fire ant defense which was you know 1984 you know, a bit of no name, you know, you've got, you've got some depth there, but a bit of no name and with a special back. I mean, I, I just think that, that Lloyd, for, for me, you know, this, this is not a roster. This is not a South Carolina team. This circles back to the start of our conversation. This is not a team that has taken a big step on the field as much as they have taken a big step in perception. So I still think to take a big step in terms of the way you play football, you know, it's going to take some special performances. So for me, it does Marshawn Lloyd break out into the high four star difference making guy, because you can build a lot. You can build a really good offense around a guy who can run the ball and a quarterback who can throw it way far down the field. <laughs> that's a technical term way far down the field. Like that's, I, I like that term. Um, it's funny. I want to, something occurred to me. You asked, we were talking about alignment and what it looks like and recruiting for South Carolina and South Carolina is in a unique position because they are in state with a team that is clearly dominating its conference, at least for the better part of a decade with Clemson. You're right down the road from Georgia and Mac Brown at North Carolina. Now you got Josh Heupel at Tennessee and you got Florida with the recruiting wizard now with Billy Napier. So what's interesting about alignment to me is you, you mentioned, you're not sure what it does look like. And I do find it ironic that Dabo Sweeney likes to complain all the time about the professionalization of the sport when really what he did when he got the job to get the job was to describe and, and illustrate what alignment looks like. And, and he professionalized sort of every bit of the, the process, right? Is, isn't that what Dabo has done at Clemson, the, the shining example of what alignment looks like when you get it from the top all the way down to the bottom? Oh yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, I, you know, and I think that it, that, you have to have the right coach. Dabo has been absolutely the perfect hire for Clemson. And you have to have people around him at the university and in the community who allow him to be the right coach. That takes a couple of different faces. You know, you have to have people who believe that football is really, really important and that the football coach should have this kind of power. And at the same time, those same people also have to believe that it's not them that's running the show. And yeah. that's a delicate, I mean, it's, it's tough to find yeah. folks in the SEC. It's been tough to find historically people involved with the University of South Carolina 
who don't think they ought to be running the whole thing. (laughs) You can, you can copy and paste that sentence with a lot of teams in the sec. There's there's no, there's no question about that. All right. So I, I want to say the, I don't have it in front of me, but I believe the Vegas total for, for wins is, uh, is it six, I believe for South Carolina. So are are we going over? Are we going under for 2022? Uh, Acknowledging that I'm asking you this in April. That's the problem with Vegas. They always set that line <laughs> really, really hard. They, they make that line hard on you. Um, I'm going to say over and feel like I'm going to get a push. You know, I, I think, yeah. that it, I think yeah. that this is, I, I think that this is a, a six and six team again. I think that this is an uneven, an uneven year, um, sort of like last year. Um, I, I, I don't think this is a five win team, but, you know, if I if I lay money on the over, I'm not necessarily. I'm just kind of going to hope I push that. Wouldn't you? I mean, wouldn't South Carolina fans, if I told you you're going to get two bowl seasons, two six and six seasons out of Shane Beamer in his first two years ever as a coordinator or a head coach, wouldn't South Carolina fans be? Shouldn't they be ecstatic about that? They would have been ecstatic about it eleven months ago. Now, not so much. And that's, you know, that's the nature of the beast with college football. You know, expectations are great until they're not. So, you know, I think I think Shane Beamer in South Carolina sped up their clock in year one. Perception wise, did they do it in reality? That's the question that I'm not sure we've answered yet. Yep, I I agree. I find South Carolina utterly fascinating as just a thing, as like an entity. Like they're just they're fascinating to me. They always are, whether they, you know, whether they stink or not, you know, they they are, you know, worth keeping an eye on. If Kentucky and Mark Stoops can build that kind of consistency, there's no excuse or reason why South Carolina can't do that too, in my opinion. Absolutely, no, no question. This is not the. This is South Carolina is not a have not anymore. South Carolina has all the things yep. that everybody else yep. has. This is not an infrastructure, resources issue. This is a, you know, this is a competency issue. <laughs> right, right. And no one in college football is immune from bad decisions. That's Alabama. That's Oklahoma. Nope. That's Tennessee. That's Texas. That's USC. No one is immune from that. Josh, always a pleasure, man. Of course, catch them all over the athletic. You got them doing all kinds of a million different things, covering the Masters. I'm just, a, I'm just, I feel so, so bad for you having to go to Augusta and walk around those, those ugly golf holes that they have. It's better than working for a living. (laughs) That was Josh Kendall, the sweet, sultry, dulcet tones of Josh Kendall from The (laughs) Athletic. Uh, Just awesome, awesome hearing that guy talk about Augusta National and South Carolina and Spencer Rattler and Shane Beamer and the South Carolina legislature. All that good stuff, man. He's great. I love him. He's the best. Uh, go follow him. Go check him out. Paper Good Journalism at The Athletic, all that good stuff. Uh, how are you watching the draft? Um, by the way, for those that have lasted this long in the show, you asked me to get a phrase into Feinbaum when I hosted Feinbaum in December. I did. Because you have a family game during the holidays where you guys like try to work in weird sentences, right? Yeah, you draw a weird phrase and you have to work it into a conversation three or more people without them knowing that was your weird phrase that you right. did. And you told me to get, it's almost spring in the Congo. Onto it the is. Paul, onto the Paul Feinbaum show. I have no idea when spring is in the Congo. Well, it's Southern Hemisphere. So I think it's fall now, maybe. Anyway. Um, you don't you, know either. <laughs> you 
can I, I will be I will be uh, doing post game, post game, post draft radio mm-hmm. for ESPN oh, on cool. Thursday and Friday, and then we're doing a show on um, on Wednesday night as well on ESPN Radio following the first round and the first and the second and third round. Do mm-hmm. you have a phrase from your family's gathering that you would like me to try to work into the shows this weekend? Ooh, God, this is fun. Yes, I, I'm on. putting you on the spot. I did not tell you I was going to do no, this. Okay. Yeah, no, he didn't tell me he was going to do this. What about... Um... It, oh, you be, get canceled be, for that one. Please, on. be, please be gentle. <laughs> yeah. There's one that my uncle came up with, but you can't say that because you'll nope, absolutely get nope. canceled immediately. There's, there's there's FCC rules and regulations. I can't say shit or... No, it's not because of a cuss yeah. word. Oh, is it a body part? <laughs> no. Um... There was something that had, we had one with Kesha in it one year. Ooh, that's not bad. It was like, um, is she the one who uh, brushes her teeth with whiskey? Uh, yeah. And I think actually it had something to do with throwing up glitter and oh, God. Kesha was definitely in that one. Dang. Ooh, that's it. That's if you can come up with that one, that's good. Cause I could see somebody dressing in a very strange suit. And I could probably work something in about how somebody was dressed so strangely they looked like Kesha threw up glitter on them. I could probably work that in. I think it was something like much like much like Kesha, I too throw up glitter. <laughs> much like Kesha, I too. I too throw up I glitter. I too throw up glitter. I, I don't think I can do that one, but I'll if you want me to, I'll try. <laughs> if I think of a better one, <laughs> I will try. try it. You asked. I will try. Uh, everybody watch the draft, of course. Go to the YouTube page. Check out the YouTube page. Subscribe to all the different things. Click all the buttons. We really, really Please. appreciate it. Uh, Aaron, congratulations on the new digs, the new studio, all that cool stuff. We've got some stuff planned for you guys, so stay tuned again. Yes, we do. You want to check out the YouTube page. So, Aaron, where can people follow you? The Aaron Dugan on Twitter and Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. There you go. You can follow me at Braden Gall at 440 Sports. Click all the buttons, folks. We really, really appreciate it. Enjoy the NFL draft, everybody. Thanks to Jaspers for being our title title sponsor, of course. We'll talk to you again next week. This has been Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. Get the crab cakes. Crab cakes.